KOTG Tuesday. Full house. How's everybody doing? Uh, first of all, before we uh, tell everybody what's going on, let's do the uh, grab a glass. I don't know if everybody else knew about this yet, but grab your glass and let's uh, keep off the grass. <laughs> Merry Christmas so, and Happy New Year. Yes. Hell yeah. Hey, well, for those that watched our 1K giveaway show last week, you guys probably heard a little sneak peek of what we were getting around and uh, also uh, stories and posts throughout this week. But we've got five turf PhDs on the show tonight. And to start it off, we're going to kick it over to Dr. Greg. He's been on here before. Grass Doctor, you guys know him on Instagram. He's a wealth of knowledge and is very helpful to a lot of you guys. Uh, with your questions and so now we've got even more here to answer your guys's questions so dr Greg, you want to go ahead and uh, start the show off and kind of give us an introduction of everybody sure thanks brian yeah so I, this is my uh, i guess third time on the show uh just a brief one last week but uh uh yeah you guys stay in absolutely stay in junior high there's no doubt about that uh, <laughs> but it's all it's all good it's all fun um so yeah, you, you mentioned that uh, lots of people come to me for for questions and and uh, you know when when uh, I get stumped and I can't figure something out, the guys that I brought on tonight, these are the guys that I go to for for help. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple of them I was texting with today about some annual bluegrass uh, issues in a stand of Kentucky bluegrass, and so I mean we we you know banter back and forth quite often about. You know this that and the other you know depending on either who you work with that has specific knowledge or uh what your area of of uh of uh, expertise is uh that sort of thing but uh yeah these guys are all um all excellent at what they do all full of knowledge and as you see there you know i asked somebody to come in from each part of the country so we could have warm season grasses covered. We could have East Coast. We could have Midwest, and we could have the West. And uh, and so you know, regardless of where everybody's from tonight, uh, even including international, uh, we should be able to have somebody at least come up with uh, something uh, that's a reasonable facsimile for a uh, for a uh, uh, an answer. So, anyways. Um, so as uh, Brian said, I am Greg, and I'm the grass doctor on Instagram. Uh, give me a follow on there. Uh, also on uh, on uh, YouTube, I am the grass doctor. Uh, check that out as well. And uh, I am a former professor. I uh, a couple of years ago gave that up to uh, join the corporate world. I work for a uh, a ag company now that uh, owns a couple of seed companies uh, that uh, you guys are all pretty familiar with, as I see in posts and stuff. Uh, but uh, in the process of developing a research farm in mid-Missouri, right across the street from uh, Farm Dad. And uh, he's never been over, but but he will be. He, he will. <laughs> I will. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we're, we're just, it's in its infancy, uh, getting it rolling. Uh, got our first trials out this fall and uh, did rating on them this afternoon. And as somebody was just mentioning, it's been such a warm fall. I planted extremely late because we were dry and uh, I, I just couldn't get into the soil. Uh, so I planted late October, which is way later than I would ever recommend to anybody. And I got great germination. I got grass filling in. Uh, everything looks good for planting uh, planting that late. So 
Uh, we've got 20 acres that uh, we're blowing up into turf grass research and, uh, you know, questions on chemicals, fertilizers, seed, equipment, et cetera, et cetera. That's, uh, that's the goal of the, uh, the center here. Um, so anyways, that's enough uh, babbling of, of, from me. And uh, I'm going to throw it over to Dr. Mike Goatley at Virginia Tech. Hello, everyone. Uh, Mike Goatley. I am an extension specialist at Virginia Tech. Uh, I've been here for this is my 18th year anniversary, moved here on December 21st, 2003, after 15 years in uh, Starkville, aka Stark Vegas, Mississippi. And uh, so I've grown both warm season and cool season grasses in my research program. Uh, but primarily what I've done at Tech is I'm an outreach uh, person. I go out and spread all the uh, news that some really top-notch scientists that I work with are doing and uh, let the world know what they're doing. And uh, again, I looking at what you all are doing, what the folks are online, I think it's cool. I look forward to uh, helping. And as Dr. Munchal said, we were having a little conversation. I didn't have the answers, but I knew people that did have the answers. And that's usually the best way that I can help. So Greg, I don't know if I go back to you, hand it off to somebody. I'll go back to you. Yeah, pa pass it on, uh, Kale. Hey, go ahead. Everybody, so my name is Kale Bigelow, and I work for Purdue University College of Agriculture. Uh, I have a three-way appointment. Uh, all of us who work at universities oftentimes are wearing more than just one hat. Uh, Dr. Goatley's primary emphasis is uh, extension and outreach, and 50% of my time is uh, dedicated to our undergraduate uh, undergraduate program as far as the turf science major, recruiting students, training those students, and hopefully turning them into responsible industry professionals, right? So yeah. uh, that's a big piece of what I do. But then I also have a very strong um, and busy applied research program, uh, very similar to the kinds of things that Dr. Goatley does, uh, evaluating cool season grasses, evaluating warm season grasses, Management systems, my training uh, was, my PhD was from NC State. And so it was based primarily in soils. So soil fertility, construction route, constructed root zones, uh, all those other kinds of things are, are things that are of interest to me. So, so guys, Dr. That, Bigelow, guess, uh, Dr. Bigelow is a fertility expert. So if you have questions about specific fertilizers, he's your guy. NPK all day, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. So, but yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. This will be fun. Yeah. Uh, Paul, you want to go next? Yeah. Um, I'm Paul Harris. I'm at Utah State University, and I don't have a PhD. I'm a researcher affiliated with the turf grass scientists in our department. So I work closely with Dr. Kelly Cope, Dr. Paul Johnson. Um, um, some of the professors on here probably know who they are, but what I do is I manage their research. So they give me a project, they give me assignment or, you know, something they want to research and I'll go do that. Um, my background's in golf course management. So before I came back and did my master's degree and started working for the university, I was an assistant superintendent for about seven years. And prior to that internships and, you know, I've been in the grunt world of turf grass management for about 15 years. And so now I'm here, look at me now. Um, a lot of research we're doing is mainly drought related. We don't get any, a whole lot of rain during the summer in Utah. So this past year we've had a lot of drought. So a lot of our research is focused on drought tolerance and sustainability. So 
that's kind of a little bit about me. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Paul. And then awesome. uh, Dr. Beasley, do you want to uh, finish up? Sure, sure, sure. So I'm Jeff Beasley from LSU. Pretty much we only grow warm season grasses except for like rye grass for overseeding. Um, I pretty much research, teach, extension. And uh, when I'm bored a little bit, I think called administration. But uh, yeah, we'll keep it simple. <laughs> I'll answer whatever questions you have to the best of my ability. Awesome. I, got, I, got, I got a question out of the gate for all you guys that are college professors. How many of you guys are Iowa Hawkeyes fans? Zero. <laughs> so, so Nate, uh, who, Nate, who is? Uh, I don't recognize that school. <laughs> <laughs> who is Iowa playing in the in the city? Kentucky. I see Ooh. that. I see that. I was gonna give. I was, I was gonna give you a hard time. But, no, it'd be good. So, so y'all guys were talking Poa Poena already. Poa's Poa's uh, rearing its ugly head. Yeah, I mean it's a winter annual, right? So it started germinating. Uh, depending on where you live, it's it's uh, up, and you probably see it. Uh, it's not going to be flowering anything yet, but uh, you probably see that light green coming in uh, pretty strongly. We Maybe have seed heads already. Right. Yeah. So where you are, Oli, you may be seeing a fair bit of it. Mm-hmm. So in LSU, at LSU, Jeff, do you guys have a fair bit of poet this time of year? It, it, it definitely is one of our worst weeds at this time of year. Obviously, during the summer, we get way too hot for POA to persist. But uh, the, here's the bad news. What we're finding is there's just a ton of resistant herbicides. Mm. And, uh, you know, it used to be easily controlled with things like simazine, And now it's just a matter of time before any herbicide we use is no longer effective. So even in warm season, you know, like our biggest struggle is we have cool season and we're trying to get rid of a cool season, you know, even in the warm season, you're having issues. Well, you got to remember, we're going to have an 80 degree Christmas. So, uh, yeah. So what's your summer is our, our winter. And so, yeah, a POA does really well starting sometime around October and then it'll persist, you know, into to March, April. But once we get into June, July, it's just too hot for it. Mm-hmm. The other problem we got is we have a, this thing called rain and uh, we've already exceeded 90 <clears throat> inches of rain this year. Ooh. I wish we had half of that. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, um, this year. being in a uh, warm season with POA, you kind of have a little little more uh tools in the shed to fight it don't you though than cool season as far as like um you know maybe sp- spraying it out when there's some warm season that's dormant or if it does even go dormant well you're naming our problems yeah you, you guys <laughs> are on top of it aren't you so really what we've uh, gone with in the past is a lot of pre-emergence uh and so we'll start spraying sometime in september to really try and uh, rid ourselves, at least prevent it from germinating and becoming a problem. The issue with it is obviously that uh, our grass doesn't always go dormant. As I say, we'll probably have an 80 degree Christmas day. And so, um, you know, doing some dormant sprays and things, we have to be a lot more careful 
especially as far south as we are. Now, if you if you'd move a little bit further north, you know, you have a little bit of options with using some non-select. But uh, with us, we have to be very careful because people who try to do that stuff wake up in spring with some uh, large patches of dead grass. Let's put it that way. So one of the things that I've found over the years, and it obviously depends where you are too, but uh, um, with annual bluegrass being an annual, right, it's going to check out at some point during the during the summertime when it gets hot. Um, in a cool season stand, if you can... Greg, I think we call that poa puke, right? Poa puke, <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but so if you can get your lawn tight enough during the summer and early fall before that that uh, poa starts to germinate then you can probably get it get ahead of it the other thing you can do is get a pre-emerge down in the fall if you've got severe poa problems and that's going to going to stop it from coming back uh, in the in the winter time and into the spring um the only issue there is if you're doing any fall seeding you're gonna you're gonna smoke your uh, seed when it germinates as well and so you know things to think about but uh the thicker your stand of grass is, the less any kind of weed you're going to have, whether it's poa or dandelions or whatever. And so that's that's the goal is healthy grass and um, and uh, as thick as it can possibly be. And so, you know, some of the products that you guys, I say some, not, not all, but some of the products that you guys use uh, do that exactly. You know, they, they're, you know, aimed at, at thickening up the lawn and, and making it healthy. And that's really what you want for uh, for a lot of reasons: disease resistance or tolerance, um, and uh, and keeping weeds at bay, and and putting up with drought and insects and all of that stuff. The tougher it is, the, the obviously the better off it's going to make it through the stress periods. So, with a lot of other uh, questions, I, I do want to ask you guys because we kind of ask the professionals when they come in: is now you guys are, I mean. You guys are dealing with grass, turf, all you know, fertilizer, all this stuff all day long. Is it something that's still kind of a passion for you guys when you come home? Do you guys make <laughs> your lawns look as good as you teach everybody else how to make them look? Yeah, or why you, all day? Or do you just not care about it? So whoever wants to take that question or multiple people. So well, I'll, 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 I'll put Dr. Goatley on the spot because he probably has one of the finest stands of tall fescue in the state of Virginia. So I'm thinking either he's got that hired out because he must have, <laughs> you know, more money than me. Um, but um, I, I have my own home. I have downsized to a manageable lawn, but I have always been a, a turf PhD that really took care of the lawn mm. uh, because I figured if people knew what I did and saw a crappy lawn, they'd probably question <laughs> Does that guy really know what he's talking about? So for yeah. me, I uh, I really enjoy my lawn. Uh, I'd like to do more watching some of your all's previous videos. I, I don't do enough striping. I don't do enough other now. things that I'd really oh. like to get engaged in. But my lawn and my plant beds, uh, I, I am the lawn, the plant Nazi of my neighborhood in terms of my expectations for what I have. And I, I've gone as far as installing uh, zoysia grass in my tall fescue lawn in a VT pattern and keeping it edged that <laughs> oh, it goes no. on awesome. in the wintertime <laughs> people could see what I had. So yeah, <laughs> I, I will have to accept the fact that I am kind of serious about my lawn. 
<laughs> that's cool. That's that's, that's cool. the best answer I've heard. That is, <laughs> that is we ask people. We ask people that every time. Next level. Let's see. Uh, and I'll qualify my lawn. I have uh, two yellow Labradors, and so uh, they uh, you kind of have to make a choice sometimes between dogs and your lawn. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, they're they're they you do what you can. Harsh. That's about it. That's it. But um. Well, so I was visiting Dr. Bigelow this summer up at uh, in West Lafayette. And uh, he has shade in his background. So he has shade trials in his backyard. And so, yeah, he's got issues with dogs and stuff, but he's still doing research right there. Right <laughs> well, I'll tell you guys, uh, in, in the uh, DIY community, sometimes we call our lawns the mullet lawns because it's business up front and we just kind of let it go in the back, you know, so, you know, dog pee spots or whatever, they just happen and we just keep the front all nicely manicured up and stuff. If you're Oli, you can't really do that, though. Right. Oli's just all around. <laughs> Not if you got those sweet drone shots. <laughs> Trying to make a comeback. What about you, Paul? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks good. It looks better than neighbors, and that's kind of all I'm shooting for. Um, <laughs> I moved into an older house this past year and ripped out the backyard, ripped out the front yard, redid everything just so I can have it the way I want it, make it more efficient. Um, I have a tall fescue, which isn't a very common grass in Utah. Everything's usually Kentucky bluegrass, but yeah, it's it's green. It looks good. So, Paul, I do have to tell you, I'm, I'm also from Utah. I'm down in Utah County. We got a couple other watchers uh, on our live chat from here. We we do have a little bit of a cheap because we've got in-ground irrigation that yeah. helps us out here in the desert. So, um, you know. No humidity. I, yeah, no humidity. You know, I travel around, you know, I was in Milwaukee last week and San Antonio and all over the place. And, and it's, it shocks me still to drive around and see grass that just grows and grows and grows or, uh, people don't have sprinklers. So, um, is there something, and, and maybe the other guys, uh, the other, other, uh, PhD guys can talk to it is, would you guys recommend people to have, in-ground irrigation, if you could, uh, if you could control the amount of water that got onto your lawn, was that, is that something that would be beneficial to you in your lawn? Let me, I, I won't call, I'll let somebody else comment on whether they would like to have irrigation or not. But one of my issues with homeowners having irrigation systems is they think more is more. And so they're irrigating way too much and usually the soil is swampy uh, and, and they don't realize that it, having too much water is just as bad or worse than having too little water. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's my issue with, with homeowners having irrigation systems because they just don't know how to use them and they just run them all the time. They, they, I've got a fancy toy. I'm going to use it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So in terms of, and I'm going to say this without the, the, the cast here getting on me. How many inches per week would you recommend? You got to load oh, the question, bit. don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to do it without a smile. I tried my best. Keep straight. Do it without a giggle and we'll answer. It's a good question, though. pretty good, yeah. That was pretty good. I'm impressed. You're maturing. <laughs> yeah, this, what's, a, yeah, what's an optimal? This, yeah, this we could jump this back because Paul's probably got some experience with this. And, you know, a default answer that I got from one of our mentors many years ago is it depends, right? I mean, 
typically, you know, somebody asks a very well, seemingly simple question like that, how much water does a lawn need? And, you know, for where Paul is, the evapotranspiration rates are very, very different than what Jeff would see, or I would see, or Mike would see. Um, one of the things that is uh, a bit of a focus for my research program right now is, is exactly that question is how much water does a lawn actually need? And so um, there's a bunch of different ways to approach uh, the irrigation strategy, but historically it's been what they call set it and forget it. You know, somebody comes to your home or you do it yourself. It comes on every day, you know, maybe a certain number, certain number of minutes. It could come on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, you know, what we have not done very well in our industry is the whole idea of precision irrigation, you know, trying to take yeah. a lot of information. And, I, and I've got some students that have been working on that right now. Um, an example of that was I have a, uh, an individual that works with me right now. Her name is Jada, but she did a master's with me. And one of the things that I challenged her to do was to try and figure out irrigation differences between Kentucky bluegrass and tall fescue. And the way that she dealt with that as far as irrigation needs was we set a green color threshold. So basically we went out and, well, I didn't, she did. I mean, she's a lot harder worker than me, but uh, she went out and imaged plots twice a week and she would take a picture of the plots, run them through a computer program and figure out how much green color was there. And anything that fell less than 70% green color, uh, she would add a half an inch of water to. Okay. Hmm. Um, it took Kentucky bluegrass roughly 18 days to get to that point, And it took tall fescue somewhere around 40 days to get to that point. So when you come back to this question of, you know, how much should you irrigate a lawn? It depends. You know, do you have older Kentucky bluegrass cultivars? Do you have some of these new improved turf type tall fescue cultivars? And, you know, water conservation across anything involving plants is a huge issue right now. I mean, there's some water scarcity issues in the state of Indiana. Um, obviously, Utah has has its own issues because Paul, how much, how much, how much rain do you guys get a year? Five inches. So, um, we get most of our precipitation from probably September until maybe April or May, and actual precipitation, um, maybe yeah, five inches. The rest comes in snow, and in the mountains we get you know, a lot of snow in the mountains that melts into our reservoirs and groundwater. But usually during the summer months, um, we might get a quarter of an inch from June until the end of August. It's crazy. So, <laughs> and if we get a storm, if we get a storm with two tenths of an inch, that was like, that was a big storm. We're high-fiving each other. We're, you know, <laughs> we're like, yeah, we're out of it now, guys. We got almost a quarter of an inch. But that's something that, you know, basically all of our research is focused into this, you know, mode of how much water can we, you know, give our lawn. And um, because of our drought this year, we're starting to get a lot of attention. We're starting to get a lot of water agencies reach out to us to, you know, have us answer this question. So I can tell you that your grass is going to survive on a quarter of an inch of water a month. It'll look yellow, but it will recover. But yeah, go back to your answer of it kind of depends. You know, we've had tall fescue go, you know, eight weeks without water and still maintain 50% green cover. Mm -hmm. um, but for the average homeowner who's setting their irrigation clock and has done, you know, their due diligence and done a, you know, an irrigation audit, and they know how much they're putting out. If you put out, oh, 
maybe an inch to an inch and a quarter a week, you know, from the months of, you know, June to August, you're probably doing okay. So we're above average slightly. <laughs> yeah. Same. Cause, cause like we're, we're Dr. Goatley and I are, and, and probably even Greg, we're probably 40 to 50 inches of rain a year, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, if you use the old rule of thumb that you see in the old textbooks of, grass requires about an inch of water per active growing week is in general, we should be able to survive without an irrigation system. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately there's periods of, you know, maybe not as extreme as what Paul sees, but we get, you know, four or five week period regularly in recent years where there's not a lot of rain, particularly that September timeframe when the, when the plant's kind of running out of gas and could probably use a little bit of water just to maintain some vigor. So it's, it's a complicated question. Have y'all ever tested rain for how much nitrogen's in it? That's, that's always a good question. Um, I'll I'll let my colleagues answer that one because there's a, there's a lightning factor there too. Yes, sir. We'll take it as it is. We don't care how much is in. We don't, we'll take anything. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't tested it in rain, but I have tested it in the Mississippi river. Hmm. So if you get your water from there, it's pretty good. Certain times of the year. So, if you don't have an irrigation system and you're going through a drought, how what would be some best management practices that you can use to keep your grass green if you don't plan on watering it? Like, as far as either mowing products, you know, what would what's something you guys would recommend if you don't have an irrigation but you want to have that nice, lush, green lawn? That's a tough one. Um, if you want to pull a sprinkler around all summer, that's, I mean, that's your option. As far as water conservation, um, I think mowing height will help you out a lot. If you can keep your grass above three inches, that'll save a lot of water. It'll encourage your roots to go a little bit deeper. Um, also species selection. If you can have a tall fescue lawn instead of a Kentucky bluegrass or perennial ryegrass or, you know, another cool season turf, um, that would be better. Um, that's for Utah. I don't know what it's like around the other countries, other parts of the country. Mm. Well, that kind of goes back to what uh, Dr. Bigelow was saying, right? About like the differences that that they're seeing in, um, you know, the Kentucky bluegrass versus turf type tall fescue. I think it was you, right? Yeah, uh, and 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 that's really just a green color piece. You know, each of these species has you know little nuances, and you know. Uh, that fact that Kentucky bluegrass goes into that dormancy state, it will eventually bounce back. You know, uh, central Indiana has had since sort of Ohio, Illinois, uh, Indiana has had two significant drought issues. One was in 1988 and the last one was in 2012. And these were very, I mean, these extended periods of drought. And um, I can remember talking to my predecessor who um, was in my role in 1988 and when we had the drought in 2012 and i said well everyone's saying their lawns are going to disappear i mean we'd had like eight weeks of no rain i mean very 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 small amounts of rain but i was surprised how many lawns actually bounced back and i think a lot of the lawns particularly the older lawns uh were ones that had kentucky bluegrass in there um in those lawns and that dormancy mechanism kicked in and eventually when september came around and the rains came back it they, they, they survived, but 
if a lawn in that situation gets a lot of traffic, you know, vehicular traffic or mowing equipment or something of that nature, um, the plants are less likely to be um, surviving those kinds of conditions. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So, I mean, we have, you know, people that kind of run the gamut, you know, that, that watch the show. And, you know, one of the things that I was wondering is, have you eaten any of you done research and i'm i'm talking more about um cool season grasses i, I live in new jersey i have a turf type tall fescue lawn with about 10 percent kentucky bluegrass in it um so this is kind of geared i guess more towards a cool season uh grass type but at what point or has there been any research done on at what point in terms of irrigation and in terms of heat does the grass kind of crossover from going into dormancy at the, in the summer months and the summer heat into actual death. And, um, you know, at what point does that kind of take place and at, like how, how dry or how hot does grass need to get to actually die in the summertime, I guess is an easy way to put that question. That sounds like a Dr. Goatley question. He's the one that did all that physiology stuff for his PhD. <laughs> Yeah, but I it, it's it's a great question, and it's another one of those. As Dr. Bigelow said, it depends. Uh, I think you can look at uh, data that, like, uh, and Kale and some of my other colleagues here are probably doing similar type trials. Paul has it naturally with getting so little rain, but in Virginia, if we're going to test uh, drought stress, we have to put up rainout shelters, and so we've been doing rainout shelter research recently uh, with the Turf Grass Water Conservation Alliance group. Uh, evaluating Kentucky bluegrasses and the genetics in these bluegrasses that uh, as we dry them down, there are very distinct differences in the dry down rate of, of which they retain their color uh, going into the drought. And in some instances, those same grasses bounce back quicker. In other instances, they don't. And I always tell people that you need to look at those types of data and what we see in terms of which ones survive, which ones bounce back. We're looking for the best of both worlds, but sometimes in those varieties, uh, you're not going to pick up one that uh, both retains its color longer than comes back quicker. You might, but it's not always uh, absolute that that works that way. But that's what I tell people to look at is we've got uh, data that are out there between NTEP, between TWCA, that we can kind of point people in the direction of which grasses will give us that longest lasting color response and hopefully bounce back quicker. And then Brent, to follow up on that a little bit further, it depends really on, you know, how hot do you get? You know, the dryness is one thing, but then is it a quick shot? Does it get to 110 one day? So if it's just an acute one-time stress, maybe not a big deal, but if it stays ridiculously hot over a longer period of time, the longer it stays there, obviously the more issue that you're going to run into. And then it depends on the kind of grass too, right? So tall fescue has better heat tolerance than Kentucky bluegrass or perennial ryegrass. And so, um, you know, they, those grasses, the Kentucky blue and perennial rye are going to succumb to high temperatures, uh, much, much quicker than uh, tall fescue will. Uh, the problem you're probably going to run into before you get just death from temperature, um, you know, Dr. Beasley down in LSU is going to run into issues if, if he's growing cool season grasses. We, were, I was just down there this fall and uh, they were talking about ryegrass on uh, on the stadium, <clears throat> how these new ryegrasses are so improved that their heat tolerance uh, is is crazy. And they were having the ryegrass persist on that uh, Tiger Stadium 
well into the summertime, which is crazy. Uh, but then eventually it just gets too hot and it cooks it out. But you also run into disease issues, right? The grass gets so stressed out and it's so humid, especially through through most of the east and the Midwest, that you get diseases. And what we see uh, a lot in the south with ryegrass on Bermuda grass is uh, is just pythium like crazy that just just wipes it out. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the other things that I mean, I personally had to deal with uh, this year a lot. This year, I just noticed a, t- a ton of disease pressure in my personal lawn. Um, I noticed a lot more funguses popping up. Um, noticed a lot more like brown leaf spot than I've ever seen before this year. And, um, it was just, we had a, we had a pretty humid summer and it was, uh, yeah, (laughs) I had at least two times where I looked out and I said, I gotta, I have a patch of, you know, I got a patch of disease over here, you know, that I need to kind of knock out and take care of. So did we see that kind of nationwide or was that something that was kind of more, uh, relegated to the Northeast? I mean, in terms of you guys being spread out all over the country, what, what was your impression of like the disease pressure this year? Well, and to add to that, based on a viewer question, uh, we had a viewer question just to add to Brent's uh, question is, uh, would you guys recommend routine fungicide usage um, as a preventative? Um, And is is there any harm in using a fungicide as a preventative if you don't need it? I can say down here in Louisiana, I mean, things like large patch, brown patch, we, you could pretty much set your clock by it. If you're going to be fertilizing your lawn, you're going to have problems in spring and you're going to have problems in fall. And so we always ask you to cut back on the fertility, especially during those times. But if you really don't want it to occur, preventative applications are probably what you need. So most of the time, though, guys, with lawns, you're probably not going to get disease bad enough where it's going to wipe out your lawn. It can happen for sure, but, uh, you know, we're not talking 10th of an inch, eighth of an inch, uh, whatever, uh, greens height grass that is under extreme stress. We're talking, you know, a couple inches. Well, I take that back with you guys. It's probably more like a half an inch or three quarters of an inch. But, uh, um, you know, my, my thoughts on fungicides are if you've got a history of disease on your lawn, and you get, you know, you get to the conditions in the summertime where it's favorable for that disease to consider, to 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 uh, to happen. You it may be time to to, uh, to get a preventative product out. So a lot of times you see diseases happen when the day temperatures are in ninety or above, and the night temperatures are seventy or above. And you see some uh, diseases starting to take off. My thoughts on just throwing out a preventative every year just for the heck of it. You know how rich are you? I, I don't want to spend the money, um, but you know, if you don't need it environmentally, does it make sense? You know, like I just, that's how I am with, with most things with my lawn though, less is more. If I can keep a good looking lawn with less products, that's what I want to do. Anyway, I add add in there a time that? of year. So for like us, if, if, in springtime, it'll grow back out of it, like Greg says. In the fall, a warm season grass is kind of going down. And so if you don't want that uh, large patch in your yard, that's timing it is probably key in what your expectations are. 
Mm. Expectations is, is a good part of that. I mean, that's if you can stomach looking at it a little bit, then who cares if you can't, then you probably want to get a product out. <clears throat> yeah, it still comes back to the expectations piece. And if you're in a, uh, a stressful environment, you know, like Greg's living in Missouri now, or you get anything in that, that part of the transition zone, uh, you know, Mike, you probably would, would agree that, you know, folks in Richmond, Virginia, uh, the, the professional lawn care providers, most of them probably have at least one fungicide built into that program, particularly if it's a full season lawn, because uh, something is going to erupt. And there, there are some fungicides out there that um, are fairly effective. And it's, it's just, it's, it's enough to protect some things. Yeah, most of the lawn care professionals in the Richmond market uh, they won't, they won't sell you one application. They'll convince you really that's a waste of time. Uh, if you're going to be on a program, let's get on a program because uh, brown patch is going to consume your tall fescue during a typical Richmond summer. And I'm always, you guys are, you're striving for perfection, uh, which I got a kick out of watching and listening and, and you're all, <laughs> what you all have done with your expertise, uh, big part of my job is trying to convince the homeowners that perfection is so unrealistic, but it's what we want in lawns. Uh, and I'll get in trouble a lot of times uh, trying to have fun with some homeowners. And I stopped at one in Richmond uh, Market a couple of years ago, a dormant zoysia lawn. And I pulled over and took a picture and somebody came outside to ask me what I was doing. And I said, I'm taking a picture of what I think is one of the prettiest lawns in the neighborhood, completely brown. Uh, or I called it golden brown. And uh, the ladies hollered in the house, says, George, come out here. Some idiots complimenting you on this stupid yard. <laughs> and um, George comes out and I was like, I love it. It's beautiful, weed free. And he's like, yeah, no maintenance, et cetera. And uh, I said, yeah, I, I said, this is to me is the prettiest lawn in the neighborhood. And the wife said, I can't believe that. And I said, well, look at that tree over there. It didn't have a leaf on it. You should cut that tree down. And then George said, maybe you should leave. <laughs> He's getting ready to come after you. Um, I've got people now painting using colorants on warm mm -hmm. season lawns and even on cool season lawns over in the Williamsburg market when they get under stress during the summer. And I tell folks, don't forget that that's one way to achieve that color because that grass is naturally doing what it's supposed to do, which it's shutting down to survive. There was a question going just real quick. I want to just piggyback on that um, that zoysia comment. There was a question I saw earlier in the chat, and I don't remember who put it in there, but they were asking about uh, plugging or or transplanting dormant zoysia, and if you've seen any successes in doing that, is that a possibility? I don't know anything about zoysia, so. Um, well, where where I are think they that at? Was the question. Do you know their location? No, maybe whoever it was, if you could uh, just ask the question again or, or just say, hey, I asked the question and here's where I'm at. Um, but somebody had asked that. So I wanted to wanted to touch on that real quick. So the further south you are, dormant sodding works. You know, if you're in Florida, along the Gulf Coast, it works. I mean, once in a while we have this thing called snow, but it happens every 10 to 12 years <laughs> and it really isn't going to kill it, but it might, uh, you might get a 10, 20% loss, but, uh, dormant sodding really works very well. Um, it gets a jump on when it greens up in spring. Um, 
So I, I, I'm in favor of it. And a lot of times you don't have to put a lot of water on the, the, uh, the sod. So it, it's a win-win. It's kind of working with nature. Mm. Okay. Let's, let's, let's circle back to the, one of these original questions though. It was related to, um, you know, helping a lawn maybe as it gets to that stress period in the summer that it might need water. And I think one of the things we did not discuss uh, was everything beneath the grass and the soil conditions, unfortunately, that you are dealing with with a lot of these lawns with these uh, heavily disturbed urban soils that probably have been compacted just like, you know, a, a basketball court. And so I think that, you know, if you're looking, if you've got a lawn that's struggling and you feel like you're putting out too much water, and I, I think most of us would agree that overwatered lawns are worse off health-wise than underwatered lawns, primarily because of the potential disease issues. But, you know, that that soil piece, again, I'm the soil scientist here. So, um, uh, you know, that's, that's something that really gets overlooked. So, you know, it could be airifying, uh, you know, it could be adding compost. I mean, there've been a number of really good studies that have been conducted in that area, but, you know, sort of times of the year that the soil is moist, but not wet and poking some holes and opening some places up for roots to get a little bit deeper to, you know, exploit those resources that are in the soil, whether it's the water or the nutrients, um, you know, all, all those things would be important aspects. So uh, actually speaking about soil, I know a lot of people are kind of curious about this as well as, as, as turf professionals, how often do you, do you guys do uh, soil samples? Um, and then, how often would you recommend a homeowner do soil samples just to kind of see what they've got? We do soil samples for each one of our research projects. Usually we're, they ask us to give a, you know, a pH level, you know, an analysis of, you know, nutrients that are in the soil. So when we send in data, they can already, you know, they can compare it to other sites throughout the nation that are doing similar studies. Um, but you know, I've been doing soil samples at my research farm for the last eight years and nothing's changed. Um, so I, I kind of go through the motions of, you know, doing them and, you know, kind of checking that box. But for the average homeowner, you know, you move into a house, um, maybe do one soil sample and <clears throat> just kind of baseline, get a baseline of where you're at. But I don't think it's something you need to monitor, you know, twice a year, or, you know, every year. I think maybe once every five years, but I'm not a soil scientist, so I'll pass that on to someone else. I, I would agree with, with Paul there. Um, but I, you know, one of the critical times and, you know, whether it's Greg or Mike in their extension, you know, responsibilities, current or former, um, if you don't know what you have at planting, that can be a real problem because that's the time that you don't have turf cover there. If you do have deficiencies in something, you have the opportunity to till something into the soil prior to planting. You know, once the grass is growing there, it's a lot more, it's much more difficult to try and adjust soil things just applying to the surface. If you have severe deficiencies, uh, whether it's a, a pH issue like you might see in the state of Virginia, uh, whether it's an organic matter or lack of organic matter, or whether it's a, a, a phosphorus issue, you know, phosphorus is you know, really important that at planting, which can be deficient in our disturbed soils, you know, this, that's a time you could till something in. You know, once the grass is there, you can poke holes and you know, surface apply things and hope that things will move down in there. But you know, phosphorus moves differently than nitrogen and potassium. So 
Um, if you had a deficiency up front, then you're going to probably test the next year and kind of see where you are. And, you know, maybe then you get on a three-year kind of program. Awesome. All right, uh, gentlemen, we actually do this little segment here on the show. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, we do what's called KOTG Lawn of the Week. And what we do is we we uh, scour the internet, well, mainly on Instagram, and these people who are uh, as enthused about their lawns as we are like to show it off. And there is a hashtag that they use, and it is hashtag KOTG Lawn of the Week. And for those who want to enter, please do so. Uh, we know cool season grass is dying down a little bit, so we're still looking for anything creative in your lawn, uh, snowmen or Christmas lights or whatever. Um, but on Instagram, use that KOT. What would you say, Willie? Stripes. <laughs> or stripes. You can do yeah, lawn stripes. Like that Snow stripes. You can do driveway stripes, whatever. Uh, that was one of Bill's big one last year was – he did stripes on his driveway, so anything like that. But uh, after this week, uh, we looked at looked at the entries, and we chose uh, big uh, shoes to fill with a amazing St. Augustine lawn last week with real St. Augustine. Yeah, one of the best okay. ones on the internet right now. Um, so big shoes to fill. But this week, we're going with Grass Geek. Grass geek. Look at that, man. And this is who was asking actually about um about the Zoy. He asked the Zoysia question. He's in Delaware. Yeah. And he was the one that was asking about the Zoysia, the dormant Zoysia sodding. No, then don't do it. And this is current. This is current pick. So that's pretty good for December. Yeah, dang. That's a nice Delaware lawn right there. Yeah, it is. In December. My goodness. Yeah. So what what does he win? So he actually uh, wins a bag of fertilizer. Uh, we've teamed up with Pro Pete. Uh, they're out of Idaho, and so he gets to uh, choose a bag of their. Uh, they've got different NPKs, and so he'll get a bag of fertilizer. He'll probably have to use it in the springtime. But we, uh, this this is the kind of stuff that we geek out over. We like to see these stripes and the designs and greenness in in the winter time so we want to give a shout out and congratulations to grass geek that looks amazing yeah doing better than me bro (laughs) (laughs) doing better than me and then along with that um dr greg said he's got some stuff to give away to our people in the live chat so dr greg you want to what do we have for a giveaway tonight so I hate that you asked me that, Brian, because I don't remember what I sent <laughs> you, but uh, uh, a bunch of hats and uh, everybody was talking about chapstick last week. So whoever yeah. wins anything gets uh, some <laughs> chapstick thrown in and Nate, I'll make sure you get one as well, uh, <laughs> even though your your team is going to lose and you're, well, maybe you'll need that to stop the burning after you. Oh, <laughs> he'll need one for each oh, lip. Here. But we've also got a uh, sweet Mountain View Seeds uh, Carhartt vest. Uh, oh, away to some lucky winner. and uh, wow. a uh, Mountain View Seeds Bose. Uh, uh, what are they called? Bluetooth speakers. Bluetooth speaker, right? Oh, that's, oh, that's so, bad. Wow. Right on. 
I, I don't remember how many hats I sent you though, Brian. I don't remember. You sent you sent me a picture of six different MVS hats. Okay. Um, so there's a couple of, uh, landmark seed. There's two landmark seed company hats. There's a green MVS hat, a blue MVS hat, black and gray one, and a tan one with the leather patch. So I'm gonna log into my personal account. Right I know. <laughs> um, all right, so we got six hats. So we want to do six drawings for hats. Yeah, that's fine. And uh, whoever wins first can can pick whatever color they want. Okay. So you said they, that each of them would get a chapstick. Is that what I heard? That's that's what you heard. Yeah. All right. All right. And then and the grand uh, and prize we, is going to get that Bose speaker. That's... I know. So we'll do the vest, and then we'll do the speaker at the end. How's that? That's fine. All right. So, um, what we need you guys to do is chat, uh, type in the chat. Let's do PhD. So in the chat, type in PhD if you guys want to enter in for this giveaway and while i'm gathering names zach has a bunch of questions for you guys uh for you doctors what uh, some of us viewer submitted questions so he's going to rapid fire those off for you guys so feel free to yeah answer there's just a few and we kind of like you guys kind of talked about some of them um that we got submitted but one and it's kind of been a hot topic and people have talked about it but um oxides and fertilizers uh i'm going to kind of paraphrase paraphrase what this person said but i mean you know you, you see fertilizers and you know different types of sources but some have a lot more oxide sources in them than you know whether it be a you know a sulfate or whatever the case may be so i mean are what what are oxides and can they benefit your lawn in a fertilizer Normally, it's like uh, iron oxide, right? Well, there's uh, magnesium oxide. There's, I mean, there's oxide about everything. There's about a form of any micronutrient. Um, gotcha. I'm going to hold on to this question because I think this would be a great one to use at a PhD defense, right? <laughs> well, it, that's, it, why, that's why I'm, that's why we're asking it. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm more looking at like the micronutrients is what they're, I think they're getting at is, uh, being oxides in the bag is that a, just a waste is that just filler as far as being plant available i'm waiting for dr bigelow to jump in because he's our fertility expert That's right. <laughs> well there'd have to be an oxide of something right so isn't that just like we're just talking about a carrier like a different a different formulation of something that we're already applying it's just a in, in this oxide form, does that is ammonium that worth it? Is that what we're is faster than ammonium sulfate, or is it like what what the microbes can produce with it? I don't know. Does it make a difference? We can we can move on. Next question. It's it's no. So it's it's a it's a little late in the day, so my brain's a little foggy. But um, you know, when we deal with fertilizer labels, we're oftentimes dealing with guaranteed minimum analyses, right? You know, what's what's legally allowed to be expressed on that label it's guaranteed to be in that bag and through, you know, all, all these chemical, um, chemical labels sort of fall under certain umbrellas. And so fertilizers fall under different things that might be similar to other industries. And so the oxides are just a way of expressing oftentimes uh, a certain type of element that's in there. 
the plant doesn't really use the oxides. The plant uses those elements. You know, when we learn about soil fertility, we learn about things like potassium, or we learn about nitrogen, or we learn about phosphorus or iron or some of these other kinds of things. The oxide is a way that sometimes things are expressed based on a weight basis. So the short answer, ignore it. Okay. You're looking for, does it have iron? Does it have potassium? Does it have sulfur? Does it have some of these other kinds of things? That's, that's the true important piece. Well, one of the things that we've talked about on the show before is, um, you know, putting down any kind of iron product and that anything that's got an iron oxide is going to be not necessarily effective or certainly not as effective as like a chelated iron source. Am I right in, you know, saying that? So I think that is that, was that kind of where they're coming from Zach and asking that question, was that kind of related to iron or was that just related to any kind of micronutrients? Uh, the the exact question was regarding a bunch of micronutrients on a bag that were all oxides, whether it's like magnesium oxide, um, manganese oxide, iron oxide. Um, th th that's what they were getting at versus like magnesium sulfate or, you know, um, something like that. Well, I think you need to go back to basics. Why don't you take a soil test and, you know, follow that. Um, because if you don't need it, why put it down? Well, they were saying like, if, let's say you needed magnesium, but it was oxygen oxide form on a bag like that, that. That's what they were getting at. But the oxide is just as a way to balance the magnesium as a metal. Right. So once uh, it enters the soil and it's subject to um, hydrolysis, it should, the magnesium should become available. But, but backing up if they're if they're doing a deep dive on the micronutrient piece, okay, and, and we we have a situation that oftentimes happens in the Midwest, and um, it's it's called summer induced iron chlorosis, where basically in the late summer we will get these chlorotic conditions that do typically happen with Kentucky bluegrass, and so oftentimes that's an iron deficiency that usually people like Mike or Greg would would not is likely to see. Now, if you have a choice between using a liquid foliar applied iron product or a granular iron product, the liquids tend to alleviate those conditions uh, a little bit better than the granular products. So you know, th that has a little bit to do with whether it's a chelated iron or an iron oxide and um, you know what you're potentially gonna use to get the results that you're looking for. Yeah. So it sounds like if, if if you're buying a product that has all of their micros and oxides versus sulfates or something else, uh, don't pay extra for that. There's no benefit, really. It's like, take, you know, you, you go to the pharmacy, you buy iron, you know, you can get fair sulfate, fair gluconate. Um, it doesn't matter. Once it gets in your body, it gets into a form that's usable. It's just iron. It doesn't matter what where it came as. So if you're spending extra money on some activated or some oxides, that's not really money well spent. Is that the gist? Um, to a certain extent, that's correct. You know, if, if you're to the point that you're using some of these, these micronutrients, and I think my colleagues would agree that you know, the micronutrient packages usually show up on people that are you know, taking care of sports turf or golf turf, where usually you're dealing with sandier soils, clippings removed, close mowing heights, increased stress, all those other kinds of things. There's a lot of really good liquid products that are in the marketplace that probably are going to give you the results that you're looking for. 
and you're probably not thinking as much about cost at that point because you're 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 taking it to that <laughs> yeah. next level, right? Sure. So okay, we de- we definitely don't tell the wives the cost. That's that's for, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> but Dr. Bigelow, would you agree that uh, to me the most important factor of these micro questions is typically going to be pH. And again, outside of sand-based soils, removing clippings, et cetera, on a native soil, if you keep pH where it should be, most of these deficiencies would be very unusual. Correct. With the exception of this is another, it depends. And I had to learn this lesson coming from the East Coast into those Midwest soils that were, you know, glacial till that, you know, typically you take a soil test. And if there's not a lot of organic matter in there in year seven, eight, eight, two, I mean, I think there's a, a there's a very strong reason why the Scott's Miracle Grow Company, you know, has Scott's Turf Builder with iron. You know, they're they're in Ohio and they were seeing these lawns that, you know, they were benefiting from some sort of an iron application. But uh, we do see this um, those those deficiencies sometimes show up in the Midwest. Well, we just hit four out of the five questions I, just out of the one question. So <laughs> it all just transformed into each one. Uh, the only other one was uh, insects. And this was like kind of the same along the lines of, uh, we talked about fungicides, but should you prevent or treat insects in your lawn, your home lawn when you, uh, when, you know, every year, and is, and is there any harm? Same as the fungicide question. We'll just go straight like that. So here in Utah, it's a common practice to, you know, treat for bill bugs every spring. That's just, you know, a very routine part of lawn maintenance is you do your preventative application and, you know, depends on what part of the state. Um, in Logan, we're a little bit cooler. So we do ours um, about mid-May. Um, I usually do two applications. I do a preventative and you know, a uh, curative application, maybe a few weeks later, just because we do a lot of drought studies and, you know, sometimes the bill bug damage can mimic drought. So we're kind of collecting data on something we're not actually looking at, but yeah, for the Western part of this country, yeah, it's a every year sort of a thing. And throughout throughout the cool, humid region, you know, if you're a professional lawn care operator, uh, typically there's going to be something in there for the prevention of white grubs, especially if you're growing Kentucky bluegrass um, turf. Uh, by the same token, you know, we have a colleague uh, who has a, another YouTube channel. His name is Dr. Rick Brandenburg, and he has something called Turf Bugs and Rock and Roll. And uh, if you get a chance to check that out, he's got a, uh, some interesting information on there. But you know, this year, um, he's been in the business for a while. And um, he said in, in all of his years, he's never seen the army worm issues as bad as they were this particular year. And Hail, I think yeah. <laughs> they were, they were, they were something and they, um, they affected lawns, they affected uh, people's, you know, hay pastures. I mean, it was, it was crazy just watching it unfold on social media. But, um, you know, is that the kind of thing that somebody's going to apply an insecticide for next year? I, I, I can't answer that, but I, I know a lot of people got caught with yes, their sir. pants down and, um, you know, but that, but that's a different insect than the white grub, you know, so there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's different chemistries and um, it's, it's, it's going to be a case by case situation. But if you're, if you have a high value turf, typically people are protecting things. So we, we had uh, army worms are terrible where we're at. 
And it's kind of that thing you go to bed at night, the next day you wake up and it's all brown. <laughs> um, here's what I'll say. I'm a little scared of homeowners and insecticides because I've heard, I've talked to homeowners that have applied like 12 applications. And uh, insecticides are a different pesticide that you really need to be careful of. Um, and I don't know with army worms that preventative has really been effective in our climate. So I think you treat when you have to, but you do it as judiciously as possible. And the other things we have found is that army worms like select grasses and they don't seem to like zoysia grass a lot. Mm. I don't know. They like fescue. <laughs> they eat well, like, like Augustine like it's a uh, dessert. They like Bermuda grass too. I was in Mississippi this summer when the army worm uh, mess came through and uh, my father-in-law's backyard is Bermuda grass and it just got tore up, but he made a, uh, a shot of, of whatever insecticide he bought at the, the local uh, ag co-op. And uh, I mean, it knocked them out. I mean, they were nasty, rotting little worms all over everywhere, but it knocked them out. And then that Bermuda grass recovered. And so that's one of the nice things about a Bermuda grass lawn getting tore up is it's going to likely recover from something like that. If a fescue lawn is eight, all the way down to the crown, it may not recover as well as, as something like Bermuda grass that has stones and rhizomes for it to come back. And that's what happened in Virginia this year, as you all probably experienced up into New Jersey. Uh, and as Kale said, we follow what Dr. Brandenburg's talking about in, in NC State uh, territory about what's coming our direction. And uh, we knew it was coming. We didn't realize how bad it was going to be. But this was the first year that my entomology colleagues here at Tech said they'd ever seen grass actually killed by fall armyworms. And they were they were in the crown. And an interesting little kind of uh, sidelight that came from it was uh, the professional lawn care people discovered that if they had been using a celeprin as a white grub control product with, that has very extended uh, release characteristics, kind of season-long control, it also picked up those army worms. Now, that is a very specific and very expensive insecticide. And for what Dr. Munchal was talking about, uh, a lot of people were spot treating with uh, bifenthrin, and that's an immediate knockdown, but that's all it is, is an immediate knockdown. And uh, we had second generation, even in some cases of warmest climates, we had a third generation of army worms show up this year. And that's, uh, that does not happen in our climate. That's what Oli saw, right, man? Yeah. Oli, that's your story right there. <laughs> story. <laughs> yes, sir. They, they eat, uh, 40,000 square feet of my three acres in like four days. And I had yeah. never seen army worms. So I didn't know what was going on in the beginning, but this year, 2022, I got me a gallon of a, a set of print, So I'm ready. Nice. Now, there was also a question that David, a uh, KOTG alum, was asking. He's like, he said, um, what's, uh, what's your preferred nitrogen source, ammonium nitrate or ammonium sulfate? Let's, let's take that a little further, Brent. So I, I like that question, but let's, let's get into also, is there benefits of buying the fancy turf products that are way more expensive than the egg products? I'd like to just throw that out to everybody as well. Mm -hmm. 
That that question is a damn whole whole episode right there, Doctor. Right? <laughs> it, it is. But leave it up. To, leave it up to David, uh, Mister Lushlon, to uh, to give us a a whole episode's worth of uh, things in one one question. Now he's right? talking about two different nitrogen sources, and one of them's quicker than the other, and one of them is more available in cooler weather. Correct me if I'm wrong. With the um, uh, ammonium nitrate is more effective in cooler weather, right? Than ammonium, but ammonium sulfate, you can't beat the speed in the release of ammonium sulfate, especially if you're melting it and spraying it. Well, my opinion, I, I think they're so similar to each other that it's six of one, half a dozen of the other to what you're picking. I think they're mm-hmm. both going to do something similar for you. And Dr. Bigelow said earlier, uh, it depends uh, and what you're looking for, what's available. Uh, I always get questions, you know, y'all ask me, do I have a good lawn? I do. And well, what do you fertilize with? And I'm like, it depends on what I feel like for this year. Mm-hmm. And I bounce back and forth between uh, I might use a little organic, a little uh, milorganite, something like that in the fall. And then if I feel like I need a boost of color, I might even hit it with aggregate urea at a half pound of in per thousand just to kick it in the pants and go and I'll throw some ammonium sulfate in. So I, I, I tell people it's not written in stone, but you got to know the principles of how much and what it can do when you're making those applications. And that's, that's what I try to teach folks. When you do the rea, is it granular or are you melting it? Just granular. Uh, yeah. And again, in more manicured turf for what people can do if they want to apply foliar to melt it, uh, what a great option. But for me, I'm just going out trying to time it with a, uh, a rainfall event. I don't have an irrigation system in my lawn. And I try to match up with uh, a time when I'm hopefully going to get a quarter of an inch of rain and put it out right before that. And it works great. Yes, sir. I don't know about awesome. the other professors here, but I probably get this question about five times every thanksgiving dinner and now that christmas is coming up probably get it five more times but <laughs> for, for our research farm we i mean we go to the you know you know tractor and seed store i buy urea i buy the cheapest stuff um i'll mix it some on some applications i'll do an ammonium sulfate um if i want to melt it down but yeah we do granular urea um i tell people to keep, keep it simple so what are your all's thoughts on on products that have amino acids in them and molasses and all of these things? Is there is there a benefit to a lawn with a product like that? Like biostimulants, kelp, humic acid. We can go down the whole route if you want. Sure. I, well, I don't think it's a replacement for doing the basics. For a lot of these biostimulants, I, I, I'm not here to say whether they work or don't work because I think there are too many of them to, to know. But if you're not doing the basic things, why would you think that kelp or molasses is going to turn the corner for you? So if you're not mowing at the right height, you're not fertilizing at the right rates and at the right times, you're not doing those types of things, aerifying your lawn. You know, you're asking a lot of a product to kind of help you turn that corner. So I'd say you have to do the right things to begin with, and then you'll find whether those products work for you. Yeah, I think hey, Brian, you're right. How are we looking? 
for a typical home lawn, yeah, you keep to the basics. I, I don't know if you know Ryan Hopkins from BYU, but he gives a lot of seminars and, you know, he preaches, you know, just the basics, you know, there's a lot of products that I'm sure do, you know, beneficial for turf, but, you know, if you keep on, you know, proper cultural practices, proper irrigation, you know, fertilization with NPK, your lawn's going to be great. We're not typical lawns though. Just saying, you know, we, we like, we like to take it to the next level. <laughs> well, yeah. working on a golf course, I worked on golf courses for, you know, almost a decade and on our fairways, it was a granular application, maybe three times a year. It wasn't, you know, anything special. We do iron in the winter to keep it green. Um, but yeah, even putting greens and, you know, tennis courts, you know, that's a, that's a different story, but I'd say anything over half an inch you can keep it simple. Yeah. You know, you're, we're talking, you know, there's guys that will go out and water and, and mow and, you know, go to the, you know, local feed store and get their four step program and throw it down. But then there's other guys who will, you know, start tweaking it. So you think of, you know, a car, you're going to go get an oil change, but then you got the other guys who are going to soup it up a little bit. And that's kind of what these, you know, micronutrients and, macronutrients and all that kind of stuff that these DIYers like to play around with. And, you know, it's just kind of like souping up your lawn, like you would soup up a car. But, uh, along with that, um, this is all great information, man. The chat's loving it. We're loving it. Um, but we're going to jump over into the giveaway now. Uh, we've got, I'm going to share my screen on here. We're going to do a quick, uh, some quick drawings here. We have what's called the Wheel of Names. All right, there we go. We have 37 entries. It's pretty awesome. Everybody's wanting to get some of those hats and the vest. I think Drunk Long Guy said uh, if he won the vest, he'd become a PhD, and that's all he'd wear. So <laughs> I'm not sure. Let me, yeah, before we... Uh... <laughs> And this is no shot at the drunk lawn guy, but I've got three sizes available. All right, drunk lawn <laughs> so guy. I've got large XL and 2X. So if you don't, if you can't squeeze into one of them, then uh, you might want to, you might want to go with something else. No mediums <laughs> for you guys. Sorry. Well, well, that's actually a perfect uh, segment into, you know, KOTG's got a weight loss hey. contest coming up here at the first of the year. So if you're thinking you might not be able to fit in that vest, I encourage you guys to hop into the KOTG weight loss competition. Let's, let's shed some pounds. So there you that's go. Perfect, that's, there, there it is. Perfect. If, if you win that vest and you're a little too big for it, it give you a few months to get into it, right? Right before the mowing season. Perfect. Exactly. Tw- All right. So let's do, uh, let's do six hats. We're going to just fire them off here and uh, we'll, t- we'll, taking uh, the information down, all that kind of stuff, Dr. Greg, um, and get it over to you. So, so let's uh, do the uh, Mountain View beige hat first. Mountain View beige hat. Here we go. Mm-mm. Hey, live in the middle. That's, uh, I believe, Alex Carney's wife, somebody's wife, uh, who won last week too. So now she won something awesome. All right. What's the next hat? The next one is a charcoal mountain view, charcoal mountain view. Here we go. 
training congratulations all right what's the next one next one's a uh, blue mountain view blue mountain view hat keith harris congratulations i also forgot you guys are getting chapstick too all right keep it moist so I, certainly all the people getting the Mountain View hats uh, can get a chapstick. The landmark ones, I'm not 100% sure on. I don't know okay. that, that we have chapstick for Mountain View, but maybe right. it'll work something out. Next one is a uh, is a beige uh, landmark hat. Beige landmark. Here you go. You might not get chapstick. You might. We'll see. Four landscape. Oh, right. there's so many, uh, so many giveaways so far. I, I've lost count. Are we at five? We got one more. <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, two more hats. Two more hats. All right, here yeah. we go. Green Mountain View. Green Mountain View hat. Hey, Michael Jack. Right. Last one is a charcoal uh, landmark. This is a charcoal landmark. All right, here we go. Charcoal landmark hat. All right. Oh, Smoking Mohawk. Man. He's won a couple times. Past that few guy's weeks. lucky. Yeah. Dude, lucky dude. You need to go buy a lottery ticket, dude. <laughs> All uh, right. The Mountain View Carhartt Vest. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oof. It's exciting. Sending my address. <laughs> Here we go. I need to send Adam a message. <laughs> hey. Kendall Eschbach. Just so you know, he's he's tuned in before. I think this was his first night tuning in. So there you go. Kendall, I know from Twitter, and and yep. uh, Kendall is a big supporter of uh, Mountain View products, so that's uh, that's a good win for uh, for Kendall. Sweet, awesome. congratulations! Kendall. Speaking good. of Mountain View, <clears throat> hopefully, hopefully you're a large, extra large, or two XL. <laughs> he just put if he didn't win, he was leaving a the chat, then he won. <laughs> oh, <whatever. laughs> All right, the last thing is a Mountain View Bose uh, Bluetooth speaker. All right, this is oh good. man, here we go. Holy special one for this. Oh, special? Yep. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Our long hey, of the week. No way. Long wow. week. This guy's just hauling it in on Christmas <laughs> week, isn't he? He's about a lottery ticket. This is the <laughs> night. All right. Congratulations, guys. He's been a long-time listener, so that's good. Yeah. That is so, Doctor Greg. Should they? Do you want them to message you directly, or that's fine. If if you DM me uh, and send me your addresses, we'll get those sent out. And Kendall, uh, get me the size of the uh, best that, that you'd like to have. That's awesome. Kendall, why don't you uh, let us all know in the chat what size? So that way, we know it's available, so we can harass Doctor Greg about the <laughs> other sizes he has. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm, I'm telling you guys, it's it's a oh you can't see my phone because it's uh, the green screen, but the the vest is uh, put it in front of your face. Put it in front it's of your screen. Right. There you go. Uh, that didn't work. Kind of. Is it? Did it show up? Well, send it. Send us that picture so we can post that up on our page and kind of show it off a little bit too. What people missed out on, kind of, sort of. But uh, also, we have a little bit of bad news, a little sad news. Uh, seeing that it is Christmas week, we all uh, like to take a little break every now and again and spend time with our families. So you guys experienced this uh, back in November, but we are going to do it one more time. We apologize. But next week, there will be no Keep Off the Grass live cast. So... We're going to tell them who's coming on the week after and not even the week after. We're not going to speak on these ones, but we have guests booked up through mid-March banger after banger. Awesome yeah. guests never before seen. So we can uh, looking we, forward to that. We can give them a, we can give them a heads up since, since we finally have this all planned out and stuff like that. So it won't be, and I spoke wrong last time. So I want to make sure I pull up the right date for everybody. Um, so after the 28th, our next show will be yeah. January 4th. Yep. So January 4th, um, we're going to kind of continue this theme of Mountain View Seeds. And we have uh, invited Adam Russell to come back on with us. And he is going to have Will Chanel, if I'm saying that correctly. Sure who's also with Mountain View Seeds, they're going to come on and, you know, they were kind of one of our first guests. We've had Dr. Greg back a few times and we want to bring Adam back and everybody's loving those Mountain View Seeds. Went out and got the 365 SS and all that. So we're going to bring them back and let you guys pick their brains again. So and, just, uh, talk just about uh, a little along those lines, Will Schnell is the recently retired turf superintendent from the Rose Bowl was there for 20 years and so man that guy can grow grass uh so <laughs> and he's got great stories so yeah tune in for that one for sure yeah awesome. we thought it was awesome that it's january awesome. 4th, so it's going to be a few days right after rose bowl so kind of go along with that's that. awesome but uh we do want to uh thank all of our current guests we appreciate you guys coming on and and talking grass with some of us diyers we're uh we're a little nutty when it comes to our grass. So we yeah, enjoyed you guys um, just talking to us, letting us know your guys' side of things and uh, appreciate you taking the questions from our live chat and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry that the uh, show ran a little bit late, but we appreciate, um, we appreciate the chat and appreciate everybody hanging around and hanging in. I'll go out on a limb and say that uh, if you have questions throughout the growing season, I, I guarantee you any any of these guests on here tonight would be happy to hear from you and uh, answer your questions if they can. So speaking of, do you guys have a way for us to contact? Are you guys on Twitter? Are you on Instagram? <laughs> do you have an email? Like what, how can somebody reach out to you and, and ask a question if somebody lives in Virginia or Louisiana or Utah or whatever? Um, I'll start on the West side. Um, you can find me. I'm on Instagram. Um, at Turf Harris. Um, I, I'm also on Twitter, the same handle. I don't use Twitter as much. Um, 
But as a, in, a, in an official capacity, you can reach me at paul.harris at usu.edu. So um, you can go through the university website and you know find my contact info. But yeah, email me, reach out to me. I'm happy, happy to hear from anyone. No, uh, I don't follow you now. Awesome. <laughs> me too. So, so, uh, who, who was it? Who wrote in so, the chat? Uh, Kale wrote, uh, at big turf church at big turf teaching is his Twitter. Uh, that's Dr. Bigelow. Okay. And Dr. Goley, you said you are at VA turf on Twitter, right? Right. And that's what I kind of noticed. Uh, you know, a lot of the professionals and stuff like that, you guys are hanging out over on Twitter and all the DIYers are kind of hanging out over on Instagram. So, if you guys uh, in the live chat, if you guys don't have it already, you know, get some, get a Twitter and uh, come over and check out some of these guys. And there's a lot of good information being passed around over there. Pretty sure hey, Dr. Greg is, is uh, in the dark ages with nothing. I don't even think they have email down in, in the South. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, somebody was just saying I'm a grass doctor on, on uh, Instagram. No. We got to go live with you next year when you got that farm going, and uh, we should uh, we should have a show, you know, late spring. You can walk us through or something live or or pre-recorded video or something. Love to do something. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everybody.